If you will turn with me this afternoon once again to the scriptures that we have read in the book of Joshua in chapter 1 in the Old Covenant, the book of Joshua in chapter 1, I will read from verse 5 to 9. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt cause this people to inherit the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be strong, and very courageous to observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest have good success whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate thereon day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not affrighted, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And then in the Psalms, the first Psalm, the first Psalm, and the first three verses, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the wicked, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of water, that bringeth forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also doth not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Lastly, in the new covenant, in the second letter of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 17, from verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 17 Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory even as from the Lord, the Spirit. 
we just have a further word of prayer. Beloved Lord, we want to tell you we are dependent upon you. We need you, Lord. And we want to recognize together that, Lord, apart from you, there will be nothing of eternal value in our time this afternoon. We want to stand by faith into that anointing for my speaking, for the translating, and for our hearing. That, Lord, you may be able to do something in our lives. Touch us by your Spirit in a way that will mean so much for yourself and for your kingdom and indeed for us as well. O oh Lord, hear us. We pray that you will quicken us. Go through us like a, a breeze, Lord, that will revive us and renew us and enable us to give ourselves to this matter that we are considering this day. Hear us, beloved Lord, and we shall give you all the praise and all the glory for answering our prayer. We ask it in the name of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I think you all know that uh, yesterday afternoon we spoke on this subject of meditation and it has followed on what our dear brother Stephen Kong has brought to us as well related to this matter. I, this afternoon, um, knowing how afternoon sessions are a marvelous time for going to sleep, will not go over um, what we said yesterday. I think it would be better uh, that uh, anyone who's not here who is interested should get the tape um, of that time. But what we said yesterday is fundamental, foundational to everything we shall say this afternoon. We are talking about the matter of meditation. It is a lost art in the church of God. Amongst Christian believers, even sometimes the most devoted believers, there is no understanding of this vital uh, subject of uh, meditation. I suppose we live in such a highly urbanized, uh, uh, supersonic, space-age society that we have no time to be still or to be quiet. It is actually... Not that we do not have time to be still or to be quiet, but rather that the spirit of the age has so got into us that we cannot be still or quiet. For some reason we almost um, imagine that uh, uh, we cannot, we haven't got the time. In fact, everybody can make such time. But there is something within us in this kind of um, spinning top that we have got ourselves into in modern life that uh, we feel somehow we just cannot stop for even a moment. And yet, as I think those of you with us yesterday afternoon will uh, 
understand and recognize meditation is everywhere. You cannot open your Old Testament without finding meditation on nearly every other page. It is a theme that runs right through. And when you think of the many other um, words we associate with it, consider, uh, ponder, think, remember, commune, all these words, it builds up uh, to an understanding that this subject of meditation is a, a, a gateway into our understanding of the Lord. Well, now, as I say, I won't go over what we've said. I want to start straight away, and I want to tur turn you to those two passages that we have read together in Joshua and chapter 1 and in the first psalm. And I want to, you to note this amazing little phrase, uh, on his law doth he meditate day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. That's Psalm 1 and verse 2. And again in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate thereon day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. It is an extraordinary uh, phrase, day and night. How in the world can anyone meditate on the Word of God day and night? Um, daytime, yes, maybe nighttime as well. It's almost as if the Lord is saying this is to be a preoccupation of the believer 24 hours of the day. Of course, the Lord doesn't mean that you just spend your whole 24 hours reading the Bible. Uh, but it is obvious that this is a continuous, consistent matter. This meditation is not some little side issue uh, that, uh, uh, that is a luxury for particular and specific uh, Christians, uh, slightly balmy. Um, uh, 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 they have a screw loose somewhere. They are born mystics. And uh, these are the people who meditate day and night. But here is a general in the army. Here is a warrior. And the Lord says to this man, who is to command the armies of the children of heaven, you shall meditate on this book of the law day and night. I think that that is extraordinary. What does it mean? Surely it brings us face to face with the simple and foundational fact that the Word of God is to be the supreme rule in the whole of our life. I will say it again. What the Lord is saying in these two passages, which I have selected out of many, many more, 
is that the Word of God is to be the supreme rule in the whole of our life. Personal life, family life, church life, business life, nothing is left out of this. We are face to face with the authority of God's Word. The supreme authority of God's Word. The inspiration of God's Word. And the practical relevance of God's Word. You will remember how the Apostle Paul writing to uh, Timothy, his son in the faith, in the second letter he wrote to him in chapter 3 and verse 16 and uh, 17 said, All scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, which is in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, furnished completely unto every good work. Now the theme of this conference is that the bride has made herself ready. There is no way that the bride can make herself ready except through the word of God. And to take the word of God just simply in an academic way. There's nothing wrong in being academic. But to take the word of God only in an academic way. To treat it as something up here that you recognize. That you accept. And nothing more. There is no understanding of it. There is no working out of it in your lives. There is no question of it coming flesh and blood. There is nothing such as the Lord Jesus spoke of the word as seed sown into the heart that is alive, that takes root, that germinates, that grows, that bears fruit. That's something altogether different. A mere academic approach to the word of God is not like seed coming into your heart and germinating and somehow taking root, going down, and growing up, and bearing fruit. That's something incredible. The writer to the Hebrew says, the word of God is living and active, and sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing even between soul and spirit. In other words, the word of God is alive. It is creative. It actually brings the very purpose of God for your life, for your family life, for your business life. If you really want to follow him, it brings his word, his purpose for you into being. Why is it then that so few of us know the word of God like this? How is it that it is just simply a collection of texts? So very often, just a whole um, a set of doctrines, of truths that we believe, but which we, we would almost drop dead if anything actually happened. <laughs> the key to the Word of God 
being living and active and doing surgical work, as it were, spiritual surgical work within us, is this question of meditation. It is the way we approach the Word. How interesting it is that Paul says that the man of God may be complete, furnished completely, Throughout, unto every good work. Not just a question of doctrine for correction, for instruction, for reproof, but more that we may grow in the Lord, that we may come to maturity, that we may become, as it were, complete, that we may be furnished throughout to every good work. In the Old Covenant, in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 6, we have something which is foundational to the whole of the Bible. It is, in fact, that which when the Lord Jesus was asked, what is the greatest law, uh, commandment in the Bible, it was this that he quoted. I will read it to you. Please listen carefully. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be for frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thy house and upon the gate. A quite extraordinary word. The Lord Jesus said of this, this is the greatest commandment. And he said, the second is like to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Will you notice that it is a heart matter? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy uh, soul and with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be upon thy heart. Written on the heart. Then I want you to notice something else. This word of God is to be so in you that it is the rule of your life. When you sit down, when you walk, when you're mobile and when you're not mobile, when you get up in the morning and when you get, lie down at night. Now that covers everything. 
sitting, walking, rising up and lying down, literally covers 24 hours. On my law, he shall meditate day and night. Sometimes I hear Christian people say about our Jewish folks that um, they think they are very bound and legalistic. Um, I have lived long enough amongst Christians to find the same thing with Christians. Uh, but I am often told that uh, the Jews are very legalistic. It seems as if this is a kind of feeling that Christians all have. Jews are legalistic. And people think, oh, it is so ridiculous, this wrapping around thongs, round the arms, and a little bit of the, the word of God on the hands, and then putting it round the head and having it between the eyes. They say, poor Jews, having to wrap this thing up. But this is a sign. Just as the Lord's table, the bread and the wine are such signs. Just as the water of baptism is a sign. It's a sign. Of course you can have the signs without the reality. But what was God saying? Why did he say this? Hands. 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 Without hands we cannot work. Hands are vital to our working life. We can do nothing without hands. And your hands are to have on them the word of God, governing everything you do, all your work. Between your eyes, everything you think, your mind, everything begins with a thought. Everything begins with a thought. Marxism began with a thought in Karl Marx. Maoism began with a thought in Chairman Mao, Mao Zedong. It all begins with a thought. These thoughts, but our thoughts, are to be under the government of God's word. That's where light is to begin. The Lord is my light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In other words, you see, this, this extraordinary picture we get right at the beginning of national life, that um, uh, the word of God had to be bound on the hands and placed between the eyes. Why, of course you can do it, and it means absolutely nothing. But the sign is this, the testimony is this, that the word of God should govern everything. It should be the supreme rule of our whole life, of our family life, with children, with wife, with husband, with our business life, sitting, walking, uh, uh, traversing the road, whatever, even upon your doors and your gateposts. <laughs> So, you see, it is hands, mind, and feet. Have you ever thought to count how many times you go through a door? I don't think very, very many of you even think about it. How many times do you go in and out and in and out and in and out? Your gate, your gate, the gate of your home. How many times in, out, in, out? You can't live without going through doors, going through gates. But on those doors and on those gates is to be the Word of God. To remind you that in all your intercourse, in all your life, whatever it is, it is the supreme rule 
of God's word. Now when you understand that, you begin to understand meditation. Because in the Bible, meditation is supremely to do with the word of God. Uh, this is not to be, let me underline it again, this is not to be some empty ritual, some uh, mental recognition of God's word, but we are to meditate upon it day and night until God gives us understanding. Then, through divinely given understanding, listen, the word of God becomes a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. What are feet? You walk with feet. You traverse miles with your feet. As the old Chinese proverb says, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. You see, uh, uh, you, then the word of God becomes a lamp to your journey, to your life's journey, a light to your path. But the gateway is meditation. This wonderful word comes from a psalm that I don't doubt, I, I know for myself, uh, that um, many of us have always thought to be a dreadfully legalistic psalm. It is the longest psalm in the Bible, 119. Now, I'm not going to go through all the verses of Psalm 119, fear not. But, as you know, there are 176 verses of this extraordinary psalm, and they are grouped together under the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And every stanza begins with the same, uh, uh, all 22 sections begins with the, uh, first with Aleph and then with Bet and so on and so on and so on, right through the 22 stanzas of this extraordinary psalm. When I was younger in the Lord, I used to think this was a dreadful psalm. I found it very legalistic and I used to skip it. It seemed to me that it was endless like one of those long walks we used to go with when we were children. We were told that it was only just around the corner that would be the end of it. But it went on and on and on and on. And every time we came round a the corner, there was another long vista uh, 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 ahead of us. And so it was with this psalm. But I think this psalm is an incredible psalm. Look at Verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 130, verse 130, The opening of thy words giveth light. 
It giveth understanding unto the simple. Now, will you please note this extraordinary, the opening of your word, not just the word. It's not, it doesn't say, the, thy words give light. That would be true. But in this instance it says, the opening of thy words. In other words, you can have the words without the opening. <laughs> the opening of the words is the work of the Holy Spirit, by which he gives us understanding. And meditation is the gateway into that understanding. This uh, meditation is that you give the Lord the uh, the, uh, the the scope, the place, the time to bring you understanding. Now, if you will take your Psalm 119, I'm not going to hear it at all, fear not, as I've already said, but I do want to bring home something to you. Take your 119th Psalm, and here we go. Verse 15 and verse 16. I will meditate on thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Uh, verse 23. Princes also sat and talked against me, but thy servant did meditate on thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counsellor. I think that's an extraordinary word. Your, thy te your testimonies are my counselors. That means that these testimonies of the Lord have become a means uh, by which the Lord gives us understanding. And in such a way he counsels us. Let me go on. Verse 27. Verse 27. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I meditate on thy wondrous works. Verse 48, I will lift up my hands also unto thy commandments which I have loved. I will meditate on thy statutes. Verse 78, let the proud be put to shame, for they have overthrown me wrongfully, but I will meditate on thy precepts. Verse 97, 97, 98, and 99, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thy commandments make me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Let this sink into you. What the psalmist is saying. He has had an experience that many Christian believers in the New Covenant have not had. The Word of God has made him wiser than his teachers. <laughs> it's extraordinary, isn't it? Let me, let me go on one more on this one and then we're going to go through again on another line. 148. Mine eyes anticipated the night watches that I might meditate on thy word. That's the one for the sleepless. Um, uh, uh, mine eyes anticipated the night watches <laughs> that I might meditate on thy word. Isn't that a wonderful word for those who have a rough journey uh, during the night? Um, who don't always sleep as well as they ought to. 
Now I want you to go back again to the beginning of Psalm 119 and I want you now to see uh, uh, something else. Uh, verse 7. All right? I will give thanks unto thee with uprightness of heart when I learn thy righteous judgments. Now what does he mean when I learn thy righteous judgments? Verse 12. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. Now, the statutes were already written. And the psalmist is talking, of course, about the first five books of the Bible. He didn't, at that time, have so much else. It was written. Now, surely all he had to do was to study it. Why does he continuously say, teach me? Teach me, teach me, teach me. We almost wonder why the Lord didn't say to him, get on with it. It's there. Get on with it. Study it. No. What I think the psalmist recognizes this, you can study the word and not understand it. You can study the word and somehow it is not its real meaning is not revealed to you. Let me go on, and I think it will become clearer. I hope this isn't boring you. Um, uh, verse 19. I am a sojourner in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. Well, his, the commandments weren't, weren't hidden. So what does he mean? The commandments were all there. He only had to read them. What does he mean, hide not thy commandments from me? Unless he means, don't close to me the inner meaning of your commandments. Give me understanding of what those commandments really mean. Let me go on. Uh, verse 26 and 27. I declared my ways and thou answerest. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I meditate on thy wondrous works. Verse 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Verse 64. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy loving kindness. Teach me thy statutes. Verse uh, 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed in thy commandments. Verse 68. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Do you see? It's a refrain. Everywhere we look. Here in this extraordinary psalm, we find the same thing. Let me go on uh, as quickly as I can. I have uh, verse 102. I have not turned aside from thine ordinances, for thou hast taught me. Um, verse 104. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false uh, way. Verse 108, accept, I beseech thee, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thine ordinances. 
125. Deal with thy servant according unto thy loving kindness and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. Verse 135. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. Verse 144, thy testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding and I shall live. 169, let me, let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. And then 171, let my lips utter praise, for thou teachest me thy statutes. Now I say that this is quite remarkable. Here we have a psalm that is the longest in the Bible, and it is all to do with meditation. And then we find that a secondary theme running right through it is teaching me that the Lord teach me that the Lord give me understanding. So we then discover that meditation and understanding are linked together. I would like to take you back just one more thing here in this marvelous uh, psalm uh, to verse 9. Let me just read this. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the ordinances of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in the statutes. I will not forget thy word. I think this is quite amazing because it brings together much of what we said yesterday afternoon. Memorizing of the word the uh, meditation upon uh, the word and the understanding that it brings. If you have followed me so far, we can now go back to Joshua in chapter 1. I find this quite amazing. We, we have both yesterday afternoon and this afternoon read this little passage uh, in this first chapter of Joshua. I do not think I need to point out to a crowd like this that Joshua was the one who was going to lead the people of God into the possession of the promised land. There was a land to be possessed. There was the purpose of God to be fulfilled. There was a Jerusalem to be built. And a house of the Lord to be built within it. 
the Lord had said of that Jerusalem and of that house of the Lord, the place where I will cause my name to dwell. All this lay before Joshua and the children of Israel at this point. All of it, please listen to me, all of it is linked directly to the little word, Thou shalt meditate thereon day and night. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate thereon day and night. That, he said, thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. It shall not depart out of your mouth, that you may observe to do all that is written therein. Just a few more things. Listen carefully. Look at, keep this passage open before you. There is no way that any believer can put their foot down upon everything that God has given them in the Lord Jesus apart from meditation. It, it is closed to you. You can sing about it. You can read about it. You can preach even about it. You can pray about it. But you will never possess it. If you read in verse 3 and 4 of this extraordinary chapter, it says, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon to you have I given it as I spake unto Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, that is the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun shall be your border. All of that, the Lord said, I've given it to you. I've given it to you. The Lord even said to Moses, I will send the hornet before you, and he will drive out all the people from before you. You'd almost get the idea that you wouldn't have to do anything. You'd, it was like a joyride. The Lord went before, got rid of all the enemies. You just came in and took over vacant places. There was no enemies there. But then the Lord said, no, 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 no. I've given it to you, but you have to possess it. If you don't possess it, it doesn't become yours in practice. It is yours as an inheritance, but you have to appropriate it. You have to use the soles of your feet, as it were. You have to put them down and take the land. And wherever the soles of your foot come down upon, that will I give you. That's exactly what happened to the river Jordan when it was in harvest flood. The moment the priests, the soles of their feet went through the water and touched the bed of the river, immediately they went over as on dry ground. When they came to Jericho, they used the soles of their feet. Seven times, once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day, and then at that great blast of the, uh, of the trumpets, the walls uh, came down. It was the soles of their feet. Wherever they came, the soles of their feet. Oh, you say, I, I can't see the connection. How in the world has meditation got anything to do with uh, putting your feet down? Well, I can tell you straight away. Listen to this. Verse 5. 
There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's the key. Listen again. Um, As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Verse 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not affrighted, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. It is the Lord that does it. If we have to put the soles of our feet down and take what is ours in him, there is no way the bride will ever make herself ready unless she possesses her possessions, unless she really appropriates what is hers in the, in the Lord Jesus. In, you may think that uh, we might be able to do a whole lot of things, but then it's only our own energy. It's all provided for us. But how can the eyes of our hearts be illuminated? How can that spirit of wisdom and revelation be given to us in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus so that we might know what is the hope of our calling and what the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints is and what the exceeding greatness of his power is to, all, is to us, Lord. The, it all goes back to seeing you can know it up here. You can sing about it. You can study it. It can be a glorious doctrine. It can be material for exciting messages. We can all get stirred up, but until understanding is given to us and the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, nothing ever happens. We can talk till we're blue in the face about the church about functioning as the body of Christ. But until we see it with the eyes of the heart, nothing ever happens. And that's why it is directly linked to this word, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate thereon day and night. Do you begin to see it now? Do you begin to see that as you meditate and as the Holy Spirit gives you understanding, not on everything, he doesn't do it all at once. He will give you the understanding you need to appropriate little by little what you need until in the end we have possessed everything that is ours in the Lord Jesus. Little by little, stage by stage, Exactly as the Lord said. I will not give you the whole land. Lest it be too much for you. But little by little. Stage by stage. You should, but it's the soles of your feet. You have to do it. Try to appropriate. What you have not seen. With the eyes of your heart. You will discover. It is impossible. But the moment the Lord reveals something to you, it's yours. In that moment that the Lord has revealed whatever it is, you take it, it's yours. The Word has become flesh. It is dwelling in you. Something has happened. Your eyes have seen something. And you united to the Lord by the Word of God. 
So simple. Here's another thing that's directly linked to meditation. You shall cause the people to inherit. Oh, beloved brothers and sisters. Do you not think that so very often we cause the people of God to fall away? Oh, for more brothers and sisters who by their very life, by their understanding of the Lord, by the possession of what is theirs in the Lord, they infect others. I thank God that when I was a first became a believer without any Christian background whatsoever, I came into touch with so many living Their lives were so filled with the Lord. And they were in sharp contrast to the many others who were as dead as the dodo. I have never forgotten those people. They infected me. It wasn't what they said. It was their lives. It was like a contagion. It was like a disease, an infectious disease. You couldn't help it. How do you teach anyone to pray? You can't teach a person to pray. You have to see someone pray. You catch the disease by watching someone pray. That's how I learned to be, to intercede, to, to pray. Because I saw people who prayed in a living, anointed way. And somehow I caught the infection. I've never been the same since. It would be so lovely if we could only send people to some kind of course and somehow teach them. Can't do it. Of course it is the foolishness of preaching. But it is God who takes this word and by his spirit he opens eyes. Are you someone who causes others to inherit? Or are you someone who acts like a dead weight? others. The Lord said to Joshua, I will cause you, I will put, put, make you, well, I better read it. Um, <laughs> Thou shalt cause this people to inherit the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. I Thou shalt cause this people to inherit the land. Joshua did. A whole generation died in the wilderness. Dead weights. But Joshua and Caleb, they were used of the Lord to cause the people to inherit the land. Joshua knew all about the commandments, he knew all about the laws, he knew all about the precepts, he knew all about the statutes. He lived in the tent with Moses. He lived in the shadow. Many people don't realize that I have a silver plaque at home, an old Jewish silver plaque of the Exodus. And you can see Moses standing there and all his, he's always made to look bigger than anybody else. Next to him is Aaron, uh, with the, uh, uh, Moses has got the law in his hands and Aaron, uh, 
uh, is standing by his side and there is a little young fellow about this high. You would have Joshua. <laughs> Joshua meditated on the Lord and God gave him understanding. And because God gave him understanding, the Lord used him to cause the people to inherit the land. Oh, if there were only more people who cause other believers to inherit, we need any number. There's one other thing that I must cannot go without uh, underlining it's the little word good success. I don't know what it is about Christians. Um, uh, they have an idea that success is some, somehow unholy. We should never use the word success. It is, it is somehow a, a thing. Now, I'm not for the prosperity gospel, but I am for spiritual success. And it is interesting that here he, he, the Lord says in uh, um, uh, verse uh, uh, 7, that thou mayest have good success whithersoever thou goest, and then about this meditating thereon day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Do you want to be a spiritual success? Do you want to prosper in the way? Do you want to have good success wherever you go? You must meditate upon God's Word. This is all to do with the corporate. Do you not think that one of the problems we face all the time in our assemblies, in our fellowships, is that we have so few people with understanding? People with average intelligence, and there are plenty amongst us, with average intelligence ought to be able to pick up the doctrine. It's not good enough. Anyone with a little bit of savvy ought to be able to learn the Canaanitish language that we all talk. Get the phraseology. Say the right thing. Look right. Stand up when we ought to stand up. Sit down when we ought to sit down. Lift up our hands when we ought to lift our hands. Even kneel when we ought to kneel. But our biggest problem is we have so few people with understanding. And that's because the Lord never throws pearls around. The Lord is not bound to reveal things. That's why the Word of God says He reveals it 
to babes and such. The weaker you are, the more broken you are, the more dependent you are, the more the Lord will come and reveal. And the more arrogant we are, the more puffed up we are, the more we think we know everything, the less we actually see. This inheriting of the land, this understanding, let me put it in New Testament terms, this possessing of what is ours in the Lord Jesus, this building up of the spiritual house of God with living stones, this being a holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable through Jesus the Messiah, it cannot actually come into reality without understanding. We just do not give the Lord time to be able to reach it. Now turn to the first psalm. And here in the first psalm, we have something else. This is much more personal, not corporate so much as personal. It is the same thing. You will find that everything here is linked to this word. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law doth he meditate day and night. Now note the consequences. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water. Now here in the United States, not so much in some parts of the United States, but certainly here on the eastern um, seaboard, as far as I know, you have no problem with water. When I come here, it seems to me there's water everywhere. Water above, water underneath, water in the air, water everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's water. I feel it now, even with air conditioning here in this place. It's just as if you're swimming in water, basically. Um, and the only other place I know that is worse is Holland. There, there's water everywhere, under your feet, right up to the surface, above you, on either side, everywhere there's water in Holland. You can never get away from water in Holland. How can, you e how can this ever mean anything to anybody who has lived in a country full of water? Like a tree planted by streams of water. But in our part of the world, you get a stream and it's tropical. Just a little bit of water and the whole thing becomes almost a tropical paradise. I first moved into my home years ago. It was as bare as bare can be. An old house uh, built over a hundred years ago with huge thick walls, five foot thick. In bare, just rock. A little bit of water. One of those drips. Not flooding water. Just a little drip. And everybody who comes now can hardly recognize the house. We have to say to them, the house that is overgrown with creepers. Such water, it is life. The difference between desert and greenery. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water. 
It is an amazing promise. Green, alive, he shall bear fruit in its season. His leaf shall not wither. <laughs> I must say sometimes I feel my leaves are withering. I suppose every believer has this experience sometime or another that you feel as if you're drooping. And then worse, drooping is not so bad. A little shower will revive you. But when your leaves begin to wither, it's only a question of time before they fall off. <laughs> I find it very interesting that our Lord said about the church that he's going to present her without blemish. Spot or blemish. The word is wrinkles. Isn't that beautiful? He's not going to use one of these uh, wrinkling-free creams. It will be something from within. Something from within. No spots. No blemishes. No wrinkles. What a wonderful promise this is. Please listen to it again. He shall bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. All of this is linked to meditation. Dear child of God, I want to be as straight with you as I can be straight. Do you think that you've lost your leaf? Because you have not learned to meditate. Do you think you are not bearing fruit because you have not learned to meditate? Here is a promise. Blessed is this man. He is blessed. Blessed of the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water who brings forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. And whatsoever he does, prospers. I think that's an amazing promise. I don't know about you, and I've always, from the moment I was saved, I, I've always had this extraordinary sense about some of these words. If God says it, he means it. Whatsoever he does, I remember how the Lord gripped me through a little word, again through meditation. I was reading that word, Commit your way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Shall bring forth your judgment as noonday, and your righteousness as the light. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. At the time I was under great attack. My whole reputation had been destroyed. 
in the church in which I was. And I remember very well wanting to fight back with all the strength and power because I felt that I was being wrongly uh, accused. My reputation destroyed. And I read a wonderful little word of one of the old Puritan divine. You take care of your good conscience and God will take care of your good faith. When I came to this little word, the first thing I discovered was that in Hebrew it is the word roll your way upon the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He will bring forth your judgment as noonday. Maybe you're in the night. You have some hours to go through. But at the right time, the Lord will do it. But the thing that most gripped me more than anything else was the little word, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I find that one of the most extraordinary promises in the word of God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desire. It seems to me an unconditional promise, the most extraordinary thing, in the sense that there is a condition, delight yourself in the Lord. But what an amazing promise, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that amazing? Whatsoever he doeth, the prosper. Well, my dear friends, I think it's time to bring this to a close. I hope that uh, what I've said will mean something to many of you. This question of meditation is not something for the Middle Ages, it's not something for the quietest, it's not something for the mystics, it's not something that went out with Queen Victoria. It is something that is meant for every child of God. And it is even more important in days of rush, of, of, of urbanization, of a kind of life where we can hardly turn, it seems. So much is happening. It's very interesting, isn't it? We have more labor-saving devices than we've ever had in the whole history of the world, and we seem to have less time. Have we ever lived in a generation which has felt so so pressurized, so, so, so hemmed in, so, so pressed on, on uh, 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 as this generation. And have we ever lived in a generation that has had so many labor-saving devices? Well, let me end. Meditation is not meant to be a devotional exercise. It is Listen, the book, this book of the law, shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate thereon day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein. Then thou shalt prosper in thy way. And then thou shalt have good success. In other words, meditation is to lead us into an understanding and the understanding 
into a union with our Lord. It is to lead us into a new dimension of obedience to him. Why does the Lord give us such understanding? Don't think that the Lord will reveal everything to you all at once. As I said yesterday, the Lord has his ways. He will give you exactly what you need. Dwell on it. Digest it. Obey. You will never get more light till you have obeyed the light he has given. Why does he give us such understanding? I have noted down these things. That we might obey him. That we might keep his commandments. That we might walk in his ways. That we might do his will. That we might fulfill his word. And most important of all. That we might become holy one with him. I read a New Testament scripture. I've no doubt you noticed it. In the second letter of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same likeness, as from glory to glory, even as from the Lord, the Spirit. I can't get away myself from the feeling that there's a lot of meditation here. How do you behold the glory of the Lord as in the mirror? Of course, the mirror that the Apostle Paul was talking about is not the mirrors we know which are so accurate as to be disastrous at times. I mean, every little wrinkle, every little spot, everything that's not so good is so clearly seen in our modern mirrors with our modern lighting. But in the old days, they were metal mirrors, sometimes bronze, sometimes brass, sometimes silver, sometimes even gold. And they were burnished. But they never gave so uh, um, clear a picture. Maybe people were happy for it. I don't know. As if we, one of these days when we're in the glory and we can talk with all the people who used them, we shall learn so many things. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. It's not clearly defined, but we are beholding the Lord. Don't you think that's something to do with meditation? How do you behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, unless it is through waiting on Him? Seeking Him. If you give no time to seek the Lord, how in the world can you ever behold the glory of the Lord? But once you begin to give the Lord some time, it will become a way of life. 
And it is as you behold the glory of the Lord that we change with obedience. Faith and obedience. The Lord gives us some new understanding, some clearer understanding. There has to be faith and obedience. Then something happens. The change. We may not be conscious of it, but others are. It has been said many times to you that when Paul was younger, he called himself the least of all saints. When he was a little older, he called himself a sinner. And when he came to write almost his last letter, he wrote of himself as the chief of all sinners. The nearer he got to the Lord, the more understanding he had, the less he felt he was like the Lord. But I think others would have said they touched the Lord in him. Dear child of God, this is meditation. Not some mystical religious exercise, but a beholding of the Lord. A considering Him. A meditating upon Him through the Word. And in so doing, the Lord will change us into the same likeness. May the Lord make these two poor messages a living reality in every one of your lives. I can could prophesy something upon this that can be dogmatic. If you were to start to genuinely meditate, your life will be changed beyond recognition. You may not feel it so much, but everyone else will see. May God change us all from Jacob into Israel. Shall we pray? Beloved Lord, we want to ask that you will make all this real to us. Deliver us from the false. Deliver us from misinterpretation and misunderstanding. But at the same time, Lord, we pray, will you do a work in each one of us? We all feel, Lord, we don't have time Lord, bring to birth within us a determination to give time to you. Do something in our lives, Lord, that will make us all a people that somehow cause others to inherit. Make us a people, Lord, filled 
with your Holy Spirit, upon whom the beauty of the Lord is manifestly seen. We pray, Lord, that you will teach us how to meditate, how to ponder, to remember, to think, to reflect, to commune. Do it, Lord, for your own name's sake.